0: Welcome to the Light Lounge. This is Thomas, I'm a lighting designer in New York City. Welcome everyone to this week's Light Lounge. I am as always very excited because in this week's episode, I speak with Sarah McElroy. Sarah is the founder and lighting designer at her own company, Silvershoot Design. And she has been with her practice responsible for the Glossier Experience here in New York City. This is very exciting because Glossier definitely changed the online world but also now the touchpoint of the retail space as an experience. We also speak about education because Sarah is a teacher at Parsons and at Pratt and in general therefore the future of lighting and how young students and lighting designers should position themselves in order to play a role in the future of the lighting design industry. We met at the library that's why our voices are so smooth and soft in this episode. Guys enjoy I speak to you at the end again. Great. Uh, Welcome to the Light Lounge. Uh, The Light Lounge today is uh, here at Parsons. We have one of these amazing cubicles where you actually can work and speak very confined. And I'm very happy because today I sit here with uh, Sarah McElroy. How are you?
1: Good. Hi. Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. So why I think you are a little bit the woman of the hour is because um, We speak about um, Glossier. You have been the lighting designer for Glossier and the store has just recently opened and I'm yeah. super excited and the experience of the space is just absolutely amazing. Thank you. Um, and we will talk talk about this as well. But the reason why um, I, I wanted to talk to you is more driven towards education and how uh-huh. lighting design is positioned itself sort of in the industry. But before we go ahead, why don't you give us a little bit like the intro where you're coming from, how you got into lighting and yeah. so forth.
1: Awesome. Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but I have no design background save my education in Parsons.
0: It, what did you do before?
1: So yeah. when I was undergrad, I wanted to save the world. You know, you're like you're one of those radical young undergrads. And of course I did what one does as an undergrad, and I studied philosophy, right? Because obviously the design and art to me was you know surface and I wanted to do something meaningful. So undergrad, <laughs> studying philosophy. And I say that tongue in cheek, I think it was a very good decision for me. I learned a lot. Coming into philosophy, I wanted to do something to save the world, like a capital W. And as I studied philosophy, I learned that that is probably a, a naive notion and there are multiple worlds, our worlds exist for us, and to help the world is to help someone's world, which helped that understanding help me refocus and come back to design.
0: Um, isn't isn't philosophy, I mean, philosophy for me is so profound that it can be like overarching in a lot of different different industries, right? But I think it's, very particular in art and design yeah. to speak about it in a... Because lighting is so f- philosophical Yeah. that you can speak about it in that way.
1: No, I agree. I think for me, I always think about things syst- systemically, right? So yeah. I'm always thinking about the bigger picture and how I understand them in the context of the the region that it's in, yeah. the way that the people in those spaces are affected by it. And that for me is the driving factor of what should define your design. Um, One of the things that drove me back to design was my father. He had been a graphic designer. So as a child, my world was a design kind of driven world. And I had always thought I was going to be a designer. Mm -hmm. But my dad got very sick when I was in middle school and high school. And he ended up passing away before I graduated college. Um, He had multiple sclerosis and it it was really tough. But his experience, when you're a graphic designer, the first Mm. thing that you use, and especially in his generation, was your hands. And having multiple sclerosis, he lost his control of of his hands, and that changed his world, right? So watching his world change and seeing how his immediate environment had such an impact on his quality of life and happiness um, made me realize that the surfaces like the things we literally immediately rub up against, the environments and quality of light in this space can actually save someone's world, right? Like going back to that yeah. other yeah. idea. Um, and that was actually what brought me to the interiors, and the interiors brought me to lighting. So that's when I just started looking for graduate programs that help support building spaces for other people.
0: I think that's uh, that's an amazing... Um, I don't want to say learning, but like in, like enlightenment. Yeah, if you have um, to
1: go through it, you might as well learn something from it, right? I,
0: well, <laughs> I, I, ex- exactly. I mean, it's like I, I just recently saw like, I mean, these up and downs actually bring you f- more forward in life in, yeah, in hopefully realizing things uh, instead of just like a sort of a flat curve where, where nothing happens. Um you said something nice like in a like in a se- sentence on the side is that every design or lighting design you start in a like in a project you didn't say project but you start with a design with with a philosophical approach and i think this is something very important that a lot of people a lot of designers a lot of design lighting designers actually don't do what mm-hmm. i think is uh something that you just said like on a on a on a sentence on the side but i think it's actually worth mentioning again that this is something very, very important. Yeah. So now then after you found Parsons as as the school to be in, how did you experience that here and how did you how did you segue further?
1: Well, I mean Parsons <coughs> gave me supported my philosophic framework, right? So I found a home here because there's a lot of like minded people that are trying to give an identity and voice to the lighting design community. Mm-hmm. Um, We were talking about this offline a little bit, but because lighting design is such a a young up and coming field, there's a lot of opportunity to kind of help define what it means to be a lighting designer and our role in the world. So I think because Parsons sees themselves as one of the leading voices in the lighting design community, they, and being part of the new school and having a social responsibility, I feel like that was a great environment for me to find my own voice. And they allowed me to experiment with that. And not only that, they've allowed me to help define that voice within the education facility by teaching at Parsons. So I think it's really important for us and as lighting designers to feel socially responsible. So the question is how, right? So, What are those questions? How do we push back? What are the problems with the existing systems? How do we push back against them? Um, And then how do we take those ideas and do something in a positive way? Not just positive in a good way, but in a a constructive way. Because I think a lot of people struggle with, well, that's great. like We can critique this all we want, but what Mm -hmm. do we do to change it? Uh, So that's what we are struggling with, I think,
0: right now. Do we do we as lighting designers actually struggle more with finding sort of our own voice, or do we do we have to convince clients in a different way? Is it to do a to different design? Do we have the feeling that we still need to like sort of justify our our business, our industry, or?
1: Uh, it's a really good question, and it's it's hard to address because I think the the starting point is a little bit flawed. We are we're in a world where there's these kind of authorships, right? Like the architect or the interior designer wants to have the hand of the designer. This is my design. My signature is on this. This Mm. is my space. I found my voice because I've kind of put my mark on the paper and my mark in the world. And I don't, I don't think that's the way we're supposed to design. You know, we're not supposed to, um, prescribe spaces to people. So uh, not only do we need to find a new identity or a real a, an identity, I feel like architects and interior designers need to rethink their role too. So if we can push back against what it means to be the architect with a capital A, if you will, um, and explode what it means, that gives us more opportunity to work hand in hand and collaborate with the different design teams. So the design teams might get a little bit more more power or more voice because we're trying to explode this notion of like the master architect and I think that also opens up room for clients to have a voice too because at the end of the day we're designing for somebody else you know we're not we are artists in some way but we're also helping other people find their voice so how do we facilitate other voices I guess
0: I I think you you just touched on a very interesting point that I, I'm i sort of running the question in my mind like over and over again is like w- how does it come that architects and I think that's m- maybe me would have like a very little bit, a it's li- a very small cultural exposure of like Central Europe and America that this kind of star architect right. image or um, branding um, is mainly in um, North America. And at the same time, I think interesting that architects still have to have to sort of justify their work or work with the client and the client has already a voice like sort of against the architect because of course the client is paying for it but it's very interesting that you say that we that we as lighting designers we are still sort of trying to define ourselves within the industry and then so you 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 said you're not saying we should not sort of fight the the big name of the architect, because the question is, as a lighting, as a designer itself, I think it's always about getting our name out there and trying to actually m- make a name in the industry. But at the same time, the better the space is designed with light, the less obvious it is that lighting plays a role in this right. So like it's the like, best
1: lighting design, you don't even notice. It's like fighting right, this kind exactly. of con- contradictory. That's no, it's really tough.
0: Um, what I think is is interesting. I have like. I have I've, I've uh, another comment in my head, and I don't know exactly where I heard it, is that line designs are actually sort of should sort of play the role as like facilitators and bringing basically being the glue in like a project that sort of ties everything together. Is this something that you experience in your work with architects, interior designers, clients as well?
1: Absolutely. I mean, well... That's probably why <laughs> I am a lighting design. Yeah. Of course I am. <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> um, I mean, I think that an asterisk needs to be put behind that, right? So the experience, the visual experience of a space is a, a function of perception. There are all these other factors that go into perception, right? So the lighting can support a great sound experience. It can support a great um, s- touch experience, if you will, like... Yeah. They all it needs always needs to be multimodal and have multiple haptic experiences, and so, yes, lighting, but more experience and because we're such like visually driven creatures, we tend to and not only that' we're marketing driven and all of our work exists in magazines and online, right, yeah, so we have this kind of bias towards our eyes um hopefully as lighting designers, we can kind of push back against that too, right? So how do you design a space that is meant for smell? How do you design a space that you're supposed to eat and the sense of of taste is supposed to be heightened? So I think these are really interesting questions. And we're just looking at one angle on this kind of multifaceted beast.
0: Yeah,
1: And we obviously tend to, to say light is the most important, but of course it is.
0: Of course it is, yeah. <laughs> Duh. Yeah, of course it <laughs> is. But um, <laughs> it, it should facilitate. Yeah. It should facilitate more. Yeah,
1: and I, I do, I think, um, for better or for worse, and there are times that I kind of take a lead, but I I do see my role is to support someone else. And I think that's where I find my identity is I want to be your support how do i help you achieve the kind of goals that you want and how do you help me understand them and then how can we build that together and sometimes that means that i take the lead in defining what the space looks like because the lighting experience is the central element yeah um so it's fun it's like this given it t- it's a fun dance that you can do with your so your we team. are
0: probably more experienced designers in like to create like central spaces or spaces that are experience-driven, and lighting is just sort of trying to overarch everything because, yeah, the I light is so, so so important. Let us uh, come back a little bit to so you were at Parsons and graduated from Parsons, and <laughs> how did how did your way then progress?
1: Ah, uh, well, so once I graduated from Parsons, I immediately got recruited by a manufacturer at that time, a startup called Ketra. And I moved down to Austin, Texas, and was a content creator for them for a brief moment. Um, It was a very short stint, but I learned a lot. And because the company hadn't, no one had even heard of it at that time. And now, like, I look at, everyone knows what Ketra is now. Or Lutron. Whatever we want to call it. Um, But it was a really cool opportunity for me because I got to meet these really... um, I don't know, progressive on some level uh, manufacturers that wanted to rethink what lighting was. So that was fun for me. And they looked at me and said, hey, um, we don't know that much about the experience of light, so can you help us curate um, wow. different libraries too?
0: What is an amazing experience in itself? And like helping a startup, being in the startup environment is probably... Yeah, yeah of, it was of. really
1: great. Um Joe Savage who I don't even think he's with Ketra anymore, but he is a a color theorist. He has a PhD and like multiple degrees in just color theory. And I had not understood color theory outside of like a cultural understanding of color, like um like Joseph Albers and those really like really important theories, but he understood it in a mathematic way. And I had never looked at the color, ch- the the color charts, and um, thinking about color as kind of this very scientific thing. Mm-hmm. So, working hand in hand with him and understanding chromaticity coordinates and understanding um, the spectrum of color and light in this very scientific way helped me position my own more theoretical ideas in a more Scientific framework, so that kind of tension between not even tension, but that dialogue between those different ways of understanding color and light. Uh, I I got a better understanding while working at KetrA, and I had this like fun lab that I could just <laughs> mock stuff up, right? So like at one point, all the engineers were like, "White is white." I'm like, "White is never just white," right? <laughs> so I, I I had to prove them wrong, and I made this lab like a room about this size and wash the walls with one color temperature and ask them to identify the color on the table. And we kept changing the surrounding color and they therefore also kept changing what they identified as white as each of the iterations of this like experiment proceeded. They thought that 3000K was their white, right? And they thought every time they would pick the 3000K, but they realized that yeah, our was, brains don't really work like that. Yeah. Um, so it was this really interesting fun. It was fun.
0: What is uh, what I think is so interesting that that lighting, yes, is founded in or can be founded in such a big science uh, um, knowledge based um, theoretical yeah ground, but at the same time you need to sort of look at every picture, <laughs> sort of mock it up, and then always look at it. And then something coming back, what you said, like in the philosophical reason or field that context is like everything, yeah. right? Yeah. What is so, When? What's again, the beauty yeah. of light. So next to all of that, when did you start teaching? Um, I started
1: d- teaching basically as soon as I got back to New York. So after I came back from Austin, mm-hmm. which was fun, it's a great town, everyone should go. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, came back to New York and... Started working for Suzanne Tillotson, and that is also when I started teaching. And that was one of the reasons I came back to New York, too. I, I really do love teaching, and I wanted to teach. So having a close relationship with the folks at Parsons were, was important to me.
0: Yeah. When you have like a class in front of you, new students you meet the first time, What is what is the general notion you pick up from them? Are they excited about light are they curious are they are they wh- what is their general yeah. feeling when you pick up like sort of a fresh set of students without
1: it's interesting that's a really interesting question i i kind of feel like their excitement and their attitude is defined by mine so i feel very responsible in the classroom to kind of help them understand their the ways that they can feel about lighting, so immediately, once I have a new class, I try to feel really excited, and I'm like, I am so excited to be here and I do I feel a huge responsibility when you have s- students, especially students that are basically my peers on some level, like mm-hmm. I'm teaching graduate students. I'm not so recently ago was a graduate student, so I am I see myself as kind of you know a liaison for them. Mm-hmm. I'm not the the wise, the, yeah, yeah, the wise master. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, hey, I am here. I have been recently here. I have some a little bit of extra knowledge for you, so let me help you find the tools that you need to, to do the exploration yourself. Um, so one of the things I try to do immediately in the classroom is just break down what they may or may not understand to be kind of education. So for me, I don't want them to learn in this kind of linear way where... I feed them information, they absorb it, and then therefore they know the next thing, and we mm-hmm. just have this kind of like feeding in a linear line. I start, there's an article in New York Times, and I don't know the author off of my top of my head, but I always give them to them the first day and say, hey, read this, and it talks about education as this island. And as the island expands, so do the shorelines, and that shoreline is basically the the, the tension or the threshold between knowledge which is the island in this analogy and unknowledge I guess Mm -hmm. uh, which is the ocean so the more we know that the more that that horizon and that shoreline increases and it's at that that tension between knowing and not knowing knowledge and the unknown that the really exciting part of education happens so you need to explore those edges it's not about me learning learning you <laughs> mm-hmm. teaching you mm-hmm. it's about you exploring so how do we give you those resources so that you can find the the shores and the beaches that are really exciting and if you're not excited you're not going to be you're not going to learn right so i'm always trying to make them excited about the possibilities that are yet to be discovered so learning is more discovery instead of digestion of knowledge.
0: Yeah. Which is boring. I think that's a that's a beautiful metaphor that like It's not mine. I wish it was. <laughs> but the but the but the but having like sort of the edges like the rougher the edges, the yeah. more interesting um, uh, findings you you actually can make. I think it's very uh, I think it's very awesome and great. That's just like sort of my feeling that I have is that there, you're, you're setting the tone, and I'm just repeating what you just said, is that you're just setting the tone and giving the energy in the space to like, be other people being excited, what is pretty awesome. And also I think that's in general the notion of the light that sort of sets the tone, of course, in every room yeah. where y- where people where the lighting basically takes you at the hand or the customer or the person who is in the space to like guide you. Basically yeah. through, yeah. Um, I've maybe said this before, but I I always picture it a space that's nicely lit, that's absolutely amazing. And I'm wearing off here a little bit from the education point. Is whenever I come to my hairdresser in my hometown, <laughs> I know they know what they are doing. They have sort of good lighting. It always can be better, but like the, <laughs> it's like the 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 sound is amazing, the smell is amazing, the uh, the temperature in the space is amazing, and I just know I I. I treat myself in a good way so that lighting a good lighting design in a space is something where I enter the space and I feel sort of just taken care of yeah but at the same time feeling safe in the space that I can explore okay so after you did great work for for Suzanne Tillotson what happened then you are now like sort of
1: right so um working for Suzanne was great so Understanding details, as we all kind of know as we get into the field and projects come to fruition, you realize that details are actually what are the glue to all of these projects, right? And before working for Suzanne, you know, you can theoretically understand how you're lighting a space. But until you have the kind of teeth of understanding the details that actually make it look the way you want it to, um, it's never going to work out the way that you envision it to begin with. So Suzanne and team and everyone until it's in Mark Quebecki is an amazing man and everyone should know who he is. He's like one of the unsung heroes in lighting design, I think. Wow. Um they understand what it takes to do the details. And I would never have even think had even known to think of some of the details that they think about. Um sometimes too. A detrimental degree, like getting obsessed with them, is sometimes not the most. You know, there's a balance there. Right. But um, mm-hmm. after having worked for Suzanne, I helped with um, my main project with Bloomberg News headquarters in London. And once that was complete, I, I, it was like four years of my life that I just was sucked into this yep. one huge project. Um, but you know, it's built and it's there and it's beautiful. Awesome. But, I I never wanted to work for a big firm. The mm-hmm. reason that I worked for Suzanne was she she wooed me. Like when I went to interview with her, I mm-hmm. fell in love with this like woman-owned business and the women that were in that firm. Um and I knew I needed experience. So I I went along and did the ride and had a great time. Um but I kind of have always wanted to work on smaller scale projects. So I don't know where that's going to lead me, but I'm trying to find a way to bring the quality of lighting design um, to smaller shops because they need love too, you know?
0: And that's the beauty. That's the beauty in our profession that we actually sort of can decide between long time projects of like four years, like Bloomberg or uh, do like smaller projects. Um, yeah, like you did like recently in the retail hospitality environment where the turnaround is, is much faster. It's definitely a different
1: different beast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it has a different it has a different pace and yeah. not necessarily <laughs> better as well. Yeah. So it's like, okay, yeah, we have to do this and this is happening. No, yeah. can you do this like to like yesterday? Um so let us speak actually about um, about your own business and a little bit about um, Glossier. Um, can you tell a little bit the story? How how did it happen and what was sort of the goal setting in the beginning and potential challenges?
1: Well, so I was asked to collaborate on a pop-up, which was a fragrance store. It was what is now the entrance of the flagship shop. Mm-hmm. So there was a small pop-up that I worked on and I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I was re- I was kind of rethinking my life in general I was thinking about moving to Philadelphia I was thinking about doing all these different things so I wanted to kind of just go out on my own and it felt like a really good time for me to have the the bandwidth to do it and if I failed so be it mm-hmm. not the end of the world mm-hmm. um, so I just did it and I figured I can teach I can I can do these small projects and it just kind of snowballed I you know, that's the lovely thing about working with a client like Glossier. You know, I met, I've met a bunch of designers. I've met a bunch of really brilliant, amazing people that are all kind of doing their own thing. We've come together for these projects, but they have brought me into their fold. So I've just kind of, Oh, and also teaching helps you meet people. And I've just kind of networked and um, developed a small, but critical base of people that we really love to work together. And, I think that is kind of the heart of it. If you can find people that you really get each other, then you can build projects that other people get. You know, like that harmony of the design and of your relationships is the harmony that will come out in the end. Um, So that's really where I am. I'm just trying to like work with people that I think are amazing and uh, build. It sounds cheesy, but like build love. That's so stupid. I'm not going to say build that. Love. Cut that. No. Yeah, <laughs> uh, build. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, like I think you know it's kind of silly, but when you have these like trusting relationships that help build the design, it creates a, a space that you can feel that like they feel they feel cared for, and people want to feel cared for in their space.
0: I think it's actually uh, yeah, I think it's a very important point because people in our age. The millennials, they want. They are not looking for, like, connection is everything, and that you are working with with people that you you actually like and you care for. Is, y- I absolutely agree. Is something you actually feel. Um, you can feel the difference. Yeah, but of course, challenging yourself within this kind of group is always a big point as well. But I think, so I've been to Glossier like the day it opened, and you can actually really feel that it is so experienced driven and you can yeah. feel that there is something that there is something different like or like already by entering the space and i'm just here sharing my experience how walking through you feel like the softness and like the stare in itself where poetry i could see that there's like a deeper poetry meaning behind it it's like the stair you walk up is like guiding you and sort of elevating you and instead of like oh damn it i'm a customer i have to go up the stairs it's like yes, I want to walk up the stairs because I'm like walking into this kind of light. Did you have like sort of a sequence in mind while you were sort of designing the storm? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, so it's a really interesting project because there's so many people that have a strong voice in this. So dealing with all these strong voices and kind of bringing it together was a fun challenge. Um, so the, the company itself has a creative team and they have a big vision of what they want for the space. But we were lucky enough to be able to come on board and have like Piero as the architect and Gashaud as the interior designer. And we came together in the schematic design phase and really fleshed out the kind of bones of how we want this space to feel. So that was the design, that was the design intent. Um, how do you curate this elevating experience? And we we use the word elevating, how do you like look to the sky? So it's really easy to design that in the lighting. From a lighting standpoint, once everyone's on board, so you know we wanted a darker experience as you enter. Um, we wanted a framed experience that you have these as you walk in, you experience it differently, and then a, a revealing moment where you do look up. So the lighting design just followed the the,
0: the intent the concept, from the right? beginning. Yeah. So it
1: was okay. How do we do that? Well, let's have a darker experience. We can have we can cut through this curve and create like this section and then we'll graze that and it kind of frames this darker space inside and then we'll have this soft glow that kind of lures you into the space from underneath and there's that tension between underneath and above so this underneath light light is pulling you into the top light which is kind of the you know crescendo of the space and it all gets brighter as you move in for me it was really important to be able to look at that that as well so it was a balance between not having it too bright that it hurts your eyes, um, but having it bright enough that it pulls you up into that space. And then that concept is iterated throughout the space, too. So we then wanted to reduce the light levels, have it feel a little bit more re- residential as you move into the space. And then as you move into the main retail area, we conceived of it. And this was for code, too. We can't like just blast the, mm-hmm. the, the space with light. Um, have it architecturally rendered, but then have beauty bar moments where you will have those moments where your face is brightly lit and you can see yourself and you look beautiful. And then as you move in far deeper into the space, those are really the kind of brighter. So it's just, it was really designed to have this crescendo at the very end. And those are the kind of Instagram moments too um, because Glossier is very concerned about their online presence because they are primarily an online retailer. So this balance between the online experience and the real life experience is a a very strong tension and they want both to be able to have equal voices in this space which is very hard hard to navigate
0: and i think that's one of the challenges today of um, connecting these two right that the retail space is not retail space anymore it needs to be or maybe a question, does it need to be an a space for experience, right? Where you actually can feel and touch the brand.
1: Yeah, it's tough too because what is a nice in real life experience doesn't necessarily equate to a nice Instagram experience and vice versa. Um, you know, if selfies, you need light on your face. And sometimes if you want to have a selfie, in, mm-hmm. if you need selfies in every m- moment of the store, then you have to flood the space with light and that obviously as lighting designers we know is problematic for hierarchy and visual quality of the space. So you always have to be kind of balancing all those things.
0: Was this this sort of a requirement, probably a requirement from the beginning that, yeah, we want that this space is something so special that people want to share it across social media, not only Instagram, but social media in general? That was probably a given like sort of from the...
1: yeah. Absolutely.
0: What is uh, you can say? I I heard it from different angles. You can say it, that this is like a big challenge because p- people then um, don't don't appreciate or don't look don't put enough attention on actually the need of the programmatic uh, needs in the space anymore. But I think at the same time it's such a big plus in the experience as well because if the experience is not good, then people don't share it. If this, th- it's like almost. Like sort of yeah, is it Instagramable? We want something that's Instagrammable. You actually, it is actually at the same time like a like a like a s- sign off on here. Be creative. We want something special.
1: Yeah, I think Lossier as a company has done a really good job of navigating that territory because they, <coughs> you know, they care about their their customers and they want them to have amazing experiences. So they've actually just have entire creative teams dedicated to just that problem. Um, They have a woman that works for them that is only experience. She's not even the experienced designer. She just comes in and um, curates these. She understands exactly what the brand wants um, in terms of experience at the testing bar and what that feels like. So she works with the designers to make sure that those experiences are in the space. Glossier has also rethought what it means to be a retailer. They don't have point of sales, or their point of sale has become an iPad, so they don't need the same programmatic needs that a typical retail retail space would have,
0: yeah.
1: uh, not to mention most of their their sales are online. So this space is really about you know, if you buy your product online, you now have a place that you can come and test it, and you can kind of curate or um, refine, really, the, the, the products that you would normally buy online. So they've, they've done a really good job of rethinking what it is to be a retail space and then trying to build retail spaces around this new experience. So they want, they, they want people to come in and just, you know, do their makeup in there. You know, come in, sit. It's, it's a longer experience than what the typical retail environment would be.
0: What I think is val- very valuable in itself, and I think it's a it's sort of a no-brainer that if people, if of course there are other costs involved <laughs> if you only sell online, but <laughs> if you don't have any bigger costs in having fifty stores across a country and you just have a few, that yes, it's a place for experience and touch, even if you don't sell there a lot. It's just sort of the extension of, like, the online business. Yeah. What what needs to... What people wish have, like, sort of a touch point as well if if it is, like, an online store. Like, seeing at the same time, like, Amazon, for example, they just opened, like, a store in Soho as well where they just have, like, sort of their best running things even though Amazon is just, like, an online store only.
1: Right.
0: Very, very interesting. Um, Again, the question coming back sort of to education. Do you have a wish future lighting design students should focus on or sh- things you think they should sort of develop to have a better foundation going out there or is it just the general is it the general notion just like just do take the fixture in your hand and play around with it
1: hmm i mean we need a lot more of that i think <laughs> 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 um <clears throat> people are going to argue with me about this because there's especially even within Parsons there's different schools of thought on this but I tend to think we need to we need to think of ourselves especially at the academic level in an MFA program not an MS program um we need to be thinking about the the theoretical and um you know The responsibilities of design and you need to explore yourself and your practice in a way that um, helps you find an identity in the world. And I think a lot of people have not a lot of people, but, you know, uh, historically people have approached this field as like a profession. And if it's a professional program, that means you learn the software, you learn the tools and you're given the parts and pieces. And at the end, you can be a technician of this field. We're not technicians, or at least I don't see myself that way. I see myself as a designer and I want my students to see themselves as designers. And I think that's a lot more powerful. Of course you need to be a technician too. Um, but I think at the student level, you need to be a designer. So learning how to think is central. And critique and push back and question is so central to anything, but particularly lighting design. And particularly because we need a little shakeup
0: <laughs> a shakeup in the industry or yeah
1: <laughs> yeah we do
0: awesome sarah thank you so much for your time um i'm thank very you. excited to um to continue being in touch with you and yeah. i'm sure we see and hear a lot of things in the future yes me too And that was the conversation I had with Sarah. If you want to say hi and reach her, you can reach her under silvershoedesign.com and under Instagram, under the same name, uh, Design. I think it's very interesting because Sarah is very experienced and human centric design driven as well, what I really appreciate. But as well, you have the beauty to focus on either design and concept or to put a direction more towards actually the technical translation, what is very important as well. But always remember the human and the experience should be the focus of any kind of design decision. If you should be in New York, check out the Glossier Experience. It's truly an experience in all senses. If you want to say hi to me, have any questions or recommendations, hit me up on thomas underscore Nick on Instagram. And I speak to you very soon. Next Monday. Much love from New York City.